So as you know, uh, we're back in the framework for God's family. If you haven't noticed yet, the big superstructure here. Uh, and for those of you who weren't here, some of you weren't here when we started this series, and some of you need review. What this series is all about is this. God is our loving Father, and He wants very much for us to have a great life. And by a great life, I mean He has a design for our life. He wants us to have a rich life with Him and with one another. He has purposes for our lives. And, and He wants, as a good father would, for His kids to just have a spectacular life. But He's not only Dad, He's also the architect. He's the builder of the house. And by the house, what I mean is He designed the universe in which we live. He designed our very lives. He designed, designed the physical laws like gravity and all of those things. And He also designed the spiritual laws in which we exist. Not just the Ten Commandments, but how things function in the spiritual world. He designed the entire thing, and he placed us right in the middle of it. It's awesome that when, when Dad, who loves you, is also the architect of the house that he, that he built for you, it's like he can custom make that thing to just suit all your needs, you know, and, and make it function perfectly. It can integrate just right, and that's the way God does it. God's the master builder, the master designer, and so he designs the framework for his family. And uh, within that, when we learn to get inside of it and function within it, things just go well. The problem, of course, is, you know, we struggle to stay with inside. We're rebellious people. We're selfish people. We struggle. We're sinners. And so God said one of the framework was he gave, you know, uh, he, he decided to give us a garden to eat from. And he said there were certain trees that we could eat from and there was one that we couldn't. And so we had all these wonderful trees in his home with all the produce you could think of and all the vegetables you could think of and everything was just perfect except there was this one tree out there that wasn't within the framework. And we were like, you know what? We want that tree. We want to eat from that. So we step outside. And as soon as we do, everything gets twisted a little bit. Our hearts, they just, they just change. We don't yearn as much for, for inside of that framework. We don't yearn to be in there as much. As a matter of fact, it gets suspect and it doesn't make as much sense to us anymore. It starts to be like, I don't know about you, but before I came to Christ, I was at a, at a spot where I was like, submission to God doesn't seem that fun. You know, I know God wants my best, he has my best interests in mind and he has the best for me, but that to me doesn't look like fun. It doesn't look like what's good. You know, I want to live out here and do things my way a little bit. And, and it feels like that's better, but we, so there's some dissonance between like over here is what God wants for us and over here is what our hearts actually yearn for. And over here is what God says makes sense and over here is what actually kind of makes sense to me. But then God, through Jesus Christ, he redeems and he dies on the cross and what he says is, is that he'll take out our hearts of stone and he'll replace it with the heart of flesh. Instead of just submitting to the laws of God, he'll write his law on our hearts, which means we'll yearn and desire to be inside of the house again, inside of the structure. And that's why King David, he always says, I yearn for God's laws. I want to know God's laws. Because who wants laws? But David did because he understood they were designed for him. They were the framework that God made. And if we live with inside of that framework, things go well. When we step out of it, things don't. So, what the framework series is about is it's telling us point by point, here's the different things that God's created and this is how he's designed them to function. Now, those of us, again, who haven't accepted Christ as our savior, we find ourselves at a, at a real spot where it's hard to submit to that. Once we've gotten to a place where we've accepted Christ and we're in a living relationship with him, we want to live inside there, but we still need to understand what the principles are because sometimes, some days, 
Even though God says to do something, we don't feel like doing it because there's still that sin nature that's working itself inside of us. So we have to know how is it that God designed us to live so that when I don't feel like it, I can still grab a hold of God's principles and say, I'm staying in here. And even though there's like a mighty wind of my sin that's trying to rip me out of this house, I'm going to grab a hold of this and say, I'm not leaving. I know how God designed things to be, and I'm going to grab a hold of it. And His Holy Spirit continues to strengthen us and give us the ability to hold on to it. That's what this series is all about. When we first started it, we talked through God's design for... um, for money, God's design for family. We talked about God's design for communication, how we speak and how we communicate. And then we took a break for Lent and we went through a series on Jesus, the uncommon hero. And now we're back to the series and we have a few more in it. And today we're looking at God's design for time. Okay? So we're going to talk about how did God design time? How are we supposed to function within it? And how does our life best function according to the time that God designed? Now, did God actually create time? Somebody said yes, right? No? All right, here we go. We're going to see. Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you don't have one, please take one. There's a red one in the red ones in the back. If you don't have Bible yet in possession, before you leave today, grab those red ones back there, and you can grab one, okay? Um, chapter 1, very beginning, first verse in the Bible, first words in the Bible. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of what? Ah, the beginning of time. Ah, in the beginning of time. Yes, this is where God actually starts time. The, the word for time, there's, there's a couple different words in the scriptures for time. One is chronos and one is kairos. We'll get into discussing what they're all about. But chronos, any, any other words that are based on the word chronos that you can think of? Chronology. Chronology is a timeline, right? So when there's a timeline, there's a beginning and there's an end. If there's a timeline for a person's life, when is the beginning? Well, that's actually a tricky question that's in debate all over the place in political spheres, whether it's conception or whether it's uh, birth. But when we talk about a timeline, we usually talk about a time that a person was born. And then there's a time that they expire when they die. And there's the timeline of their life. In the beginning, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of time. There's a timeline for time. And so at the beginning of time, in the beginning, God creates heaven and earth. What's the first thing that he creates? When you look at chapter, uh, at uh, verse 3, it says this, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. I love that. He just says it, and it is. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night there was evening and there was morning the first day what's day a day is time it's a measurement of time this is the first measurement of time okay so there's light and there's dark he separates the two god's making space we live within time and space. The first three days, what God does is he creates spaces. He creates the space between light and darkness. He separates them, makes day and night. The second day, he separates the air from the water, and he makes an atmosphere, and he makes uh, an atmosphere for birds to fly in it, and an atmosphere for fish to swim in. He makes space for them. On the third day, he takes dry land and separates it out of the water, and he makes space for us to live on. He's making space the first three days. Then he'll go back, and he'll fill the spaces up with 
First, he'll fill the space of day and night with sun, moon, and stars. Then he'll go and he'll fill the space of the, the, air, of the air and the water with birds and fish. Then on the sixth day, he'll go and fill the space of the dry land with animals and with people. He creates the space and then he fills the space. And the first space that he makes is the space of time, a day. Within a day is how we function. That's what he does. He makes the space of time. Inside of a day is when we do what we do. We work. We relate to each other. We pray. We sleep. We eat. Well, no, we sleep at night. A- at night, we sleep. And, and so that's how it works. It's separ- he separates those things, and those things are measurements of time that actually show us a rhythm, show us a function, a rhythm. During the day, you do this. At night, you do this. It begins to set a rhythm. Now, on the fourth day, he goes and he fills that space of the day. And this is where it starts in verse 14. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser to govern the night. He also made the stars. So what does God make those star, the sun, moon, and the stars for? It says to, to mark the seasons, the days, and the years. So not only has he made a day, now he's made 365 days, which we call a year, and then within that year he made seasons. So now it's important to know this because now we not only know when we're supposed to work and when we're supposed to sleep, we also know when uh, the seasons are coming. So we know when to plant and we know when to harvest. We know when to put the crab traps in and when to pull them out, when the tide's going to go up and down. You know, there's all sorts of things on our earth that operate based on on time. And God makes time as measurements so that we can understand the rhythm of our lives and we can fit appropriately within this thing he calls time. And if we deal with it appropriately, we find that we get inside of God's framework and we just find that things begin to work when we deal with time the way it was intended to be dealt with. Now, it's not all over. At the the sixth day, when he fills the earth with all the animals, then he takes us as the crown jewel of his creation. And he says, see this framework? I made all this universe. I made it with its, its physical laws, with the spiritual laws. I, I put it all together. And, and it's a spectacular house for you guys. And all of it reveals parts of me. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And all these things reveal things about me. But in the center of it, right in the middle of it all, I place you, the crowning jewel of my creation, those who were made in my image, male and female, he made them. In, the, in his likeness, he made them. And he places them right there in the middle to enjoy all of this to be the jewel set right in the middle of all of it, the crowning jewel, and he places this right there in the middle of it, and he tells us, rule over it all. I made it for you. This is your home. This is your house. This is your universe. You rule over it. You take it. You put it into submission. You name the animals. You take care of it all. It's for you. This is your home. Stay within it. Thrive within it. And after that, he says it's very, very good. It's very good, he says. And then comes the seventh day. And on the seventh day, he kicks back and he says, let's enjoy it. It was made not just as my autobiographical artwork. It's made not just to be a house for you. Why do we have a house? To enjoy it, to be together in it. So let's enjoy it. And seventh day is the day of rest. And at that point, he establishes the last measurement of time, which is seven days, hint, hint. A week, okay, yeah, he already set up a year, he already set up a day, he already set up seasons, and, and, but, the, but then the big one in there is that 
he still needed to get the week, you know? And so that was the week, the, and the weekly cycle. And within that, so now God's set up all this time. And then he gives us job descriptions. And what it seems like we should be able to do is we should be able to form a spreadsheet now, okay? Because he's given us 24 hours a day, and he's given us seven days a week, and he's given us 52 weeks in a year, and he's given us seasons within those things. So what we should be able to do is take all those measurements of time, and we should be able to set up a spreadsheet, okay? An Excel spreadsheet. And then we should take all the things that he told us to do, and we should be able to plug them into the spreadsheet. And we should just be able to say, all right, God, here's all the stuff you told us to do. You made time. You gave us the job descriptions. Obviously, they're going to be integrated. Boom, 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 boom. And we should just like push, you know, sync, and it should go like this, and then push print, and it should come out, and we should never have to think about time anymore. It should just, our spreadsheet should be able to tell us what to do all the time, because God made time, and God made us and God gave us the job description and it should all just work. There's only one problem. God God actually did do this to a degree. He made the spreadsheet. He told us to work six days a week and to rest on the seventh. They walked with him in the Garden of Eden every day. In the in the Old Testament law, it takes it talks about taking years of Sabbath to rest your fields. It take it talks about having feasts at certain times of the year and about having fasts at certain times of the year. It's all these rhythms that God puts in our life and in the life of the Israelites in order to, to keep them in that time and in that space. But there's a problem with time. One major problem. Time is a resource. You know what a resource is? It's a resource like gold or like oil. You know? That's what it's like. It's like. It's like gold or it's like oil. Now here's the problem with resources and humans. They weren't designed with the intention of being able to account for our greed. <laughs> That's the problem. Oil, there's enough oil to go around to do everything God's ever called us to do. There's enough gold to go around to, to do everything that God's ever called us to do. But there isn't enough gold or enough oil to, to account for man's greed. See, when we stepped outside of the framework and when we stopped seeing God's structure as the main structure and we stopped submitting to him, we stepped out into a place where I'm going to take this fruit that I'm not supposed to have because I know what I need and this is what I actually want. And at this point, in our rebellion, greed begins to take over. No longer is God's plan enough for me. I'm the one who has to hoard and I'm the one who wastes. And that's what we do as humans with resources. We hoard it and we waste it. That's what happens with resources. It happens with gold. It happens with oil. It happens with money, which is the exchange between all the other resources. And it really, really, really happens with time. We try to hoard it and we waste it all the time. Now, businesses are very aware of this these days. And so businesses recognize that people in general, they aren't great with time. They're greedy with time. And they, use the, they, they waste time or they hoard time. But people in general aren't perfectly responsible with time. So what do businesses do? They set up benchmarks and goals in order to keep people on task because they're using their money in order to pay us for our time. And they want to make sure that they're getting the most out of our time. So they set these benchmarks and these goals. Now, the problem is, what's the problem? is that the business is also run by humans. And therefore, the business is also greedy, right? And the business is still about getting the bottom line. And they don't really care about our lives either or about functioning according to the right thing. So they're also willing to steal our time. So they say, here's the benchmark. I need a 20% increase by this quarter. And it's like, I can't get a 20% increase in this quarter. You're crazy. Like, that'll take an insane amount of time. You're paying me a salary that's 40 hours a week. It would take double that. And they're like, ah, yeah, that's a shame. Because there's other people who will do that for you. 
you know? And now all of a sudden it's like you got to keep up because someone was willing to step out here and take a fruit and say, we'll do it our way. And now all of a sudden there's not enough fruit to go around. There's not enough time to go around because we're functioning on a schedule of man's greed instead of functioning on a schedule of God's providence. You see how that works? And now we get into a place where our lives are on this pace that's like... And we're trying to keep up because we're trying to keep up with man's greed. But the thing is, is we all recognize you can't cheat time. Do you know that? You can't cheat time. There's no cheating time. You can't steal time at all. All you can do, you can steal time from someone else or something else. But you can't cheat time. Time just keeps going. You can't manipulate time. It does what it does. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. And you can't, but what you can do is you can try to steal it from something else. See, any of you ever seen the animated movie Cars? Disney movie, you know, Lightning McQueen, the rookie, is trying to win his first Piston Cup, and he comes, and he's, he's on, on this uh, race, the championship race, and he's going around and around and around, and uh, every time there's a pit stop, he pulls in, he's like, no tires, just gas it up, and the, uh, the commentator says, it's all gas and goes for Lightning McQueen today, said, I, normally I'd say that's a short-term gain, or a short-term gain and a long-term loss, but uh, obviously he knows something we don't know. It seems to be working out for him, and uh, he keeps going. Now it gets to the final lap, and he's rounding the bend, and it's like, well, here he goes. The rookie's going to win his first Piston Cup. It looks like he's got it all wrapped up. Boom! Tire blows. Boom! Another tire blows. Now he's limping and jumping and just trying to get to the end, you know, and, and the, the cars that were a lap behind him because they stopped and got their tires changed, they all catch up and it's a three-way tie. If you want to know the rest of it, you can watch the story. But what ends up happening, of course, is that he thought he could cheat time. He thought he could cheat time. He thought that he could get there quicker than them because he could just cheat time by not doing what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. He thought he could cheat time, but he wasn't cheating time, was he? You can't cheat time. He was cheating his tires and ultimately cheating himself. And all the time we think we can cheat time and I'll just steal a little bit from here or I'll steal a little bit from there in order to do this. It doesn't work. It'll catch up. I promise. It always does. I don't have to go to the bathroom. I don't have to sleep. I'll just keep working. That's not going to work for you in the long haul. You know, short-term gain, long-term loss. And so many of us can try to squeeze every second out of the time. And it's good. We need to be, we need to be frugal with our time. We need to be good stewards of our time, but we can't We can't manipulate time and we can't cheat time and God sets up rhythms for our life because he knows how we best function within time. And if we learn to listen to God and function in his rhythm, things work out okay. But if we get ahead of God and race and we're like taking control and we're trying to squeeze everything, it doesn't work. It's going to catch up to us. And if we don't really worry about keeping up pace with God, yeah, I know it says redeem the time because the times are evil. Yeah, I know that it says the days are short, but you know, there's plenty of time. It's going to catch up. It's going to catch up. If we don't use time appropriately, it'll always catch up. Now, see, time is a, is a way that we show respect. What time really is, the gift of time, the beauty of time, is it's this measurement that's a constant accountability in our lives. Really, that's what it is. It's constant accountability. Because what did I get done today or what did I not get done today? What did I focus my attention on? What did I not focus my attention on? I, that's a measurement of what I cared about today. And it's a measurement about what I cared about this week. And it's a measurement about what I cared about this year. And ultimately, I can say all I want about what it is I actually care about, but 
If time has gone by and I haven't shown that I care about it with my time, then I'm a liar. (laughs) That's what it is. I'm just a liar. That's all it is. I mean, it doesn't get any, there's, you know that phrase, put your money where your mouth is? I mean, money, our budget, it reveals something about our priorities. But the only reason that we go after money is because it's the common denominator between the resources. And the most precious resource of all is time. It's the one thing that money can't buy. It can't get it back, right? I mean, you can pay to have someone else help you out with something with time, but you can't, no matter what you do, you can't go and buy more time. We have no idea how much time God has given us. And no matter how much money we get, we can't buy time. There's no resource more precious than time. And believe me, time is a gift that God has given us. He's given us and it's made to be spent. Time is supposed to be spent. But how we spend it, reveals our priorities. And that's what time does over and over again. Every second, every minute, every day, every week, every month, every year, it reveals who we are, what we care about. If over and over again, I am consistently late for the same thing, and or over and over again, I'm consistently impatient with the same person, it begins to reveal, I don't have a ton of respect for that person. If when my family comes into town. I have brother and sister out of town. When they come into town, I rearrange my schedule because I want to be with them. Not because I'm trying to manipulate my schedule to show them how much I care, but because I genuinely care and I want to be with them. And you can see that by my schedule. Schedule reveals a lot of things about us. Now, we all intuitively know that you can't actually manipulate time and that if you steal from time, you're only stealing from another person, which is why we get so frustrated when people steal time from us, isn't it? I mean, the other day, Josh, um, Josh Hostetter and Josh Bite working out, we were over praying at the um, Old City Hall in Thursday morning, at the Old City Hall in Pottstown, just praying over Pottstown. We had a great prayer time, awesome prayer time. And afterwards, we decided to go over to Dunkin' Donuts and get a uh, cup of coffee. And so I'm driving over to meet them over there. We kind of separated. We're meeting back up over there. And I come up to Jackson. And uh, at Jackson, it's kind of like a, a U in the street. It comes like this. And I, and I pull up, and there's a stop sign in the street. I'm stopping at, at Jackson. And there's this guy coming down, and he's, you know, if he keeps going this way, I got to wait to pull out. If he's going to the right, then, you know, I can pull out and not wait for him. You know the story, how this goes, right? It's about whether he's going to put his blinker on or not. And so this is, you know, I'm waiting and I'm like, I don't want to be rude. I don't, I don't know how fast this guy's coming. And I probably could get out in front of him without him having to slow down, but I'm trying to respect his time. So even if he's going straight, I don't want to pull out and make him slow down and disrespect his time. Well, he's taking his good sweet time and he doesn't have his blinker on, never puts it on, but of course bangs it right and it's coming this way. And so we just had this awesome prayer time. You know, it was just a great prayer time. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like I love Pottstown. I love the people of Pottstown. God bless Pottstown, you know. And this guy doesn't, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know. And like, it's five seconds, right? I mean, like who really cares? But I care. And it's all, it's not really about whether or not five seconds is a big deal. It's about the fact that he just disrespected me by not putting his blinker on and assuming he's allowed to take my time from me right? Isn't that what it's about? He just took my time for me. That's time that I could, that's five seconds I could have used doing something else, you know? And it's funny. I remember sitting there and like, and he comes around the bend and it's funny. He puts his blinker on or he didn't put his blinker on. He turned. And at first, like I can feel it welling up in me a little bit of just like, come on, man, show a little respect. And I just sensed God in the moment being like, are you waiting on him or are you waiting on me? What, what are you waiting on? 
Because you were doing the right thing. You were being kind, but now all of a sudden you're bent. So were you waiting on him? You think you were waiting on him, but the reason you're being kind is because you're waiting on me. It's in my hands. Wait on me. Wait on me. This is the story of a man named King David. He was, he was a little boy, and he was anointed by Samuel to be king over all of Israel. See, Israel had made a major mistake. God had a beautiful plan for them, but they couldn't wait on him. They couldn't wait on him to, to make David a king. Instead, they had to hurry up and get a king on their own, you know, because they, they wanted to be like the other countries. And so they hurry up, and they don't wait on God, and they make Saul a king. And Saul has the same problem. He can't wait on God. He's supposed to make his sacrifice in the right space and in the right time. But instead, he's afraid. And so he hurry up and make a sac- makes a sacrifice at the wrong time and in the wrong place, which is a bad idea. And because of it, his family line is no longer going to be the, 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 priest, or the uh, kingly line. That's not the, the royal line. There we go. And uh, so Samuel says to him, you didn't wait on God. You didn't do it the way you were supposed to. You stepped out of the framework. There's going to be punishment for that. Your family is no longer going to be the, the royal line. There's going to be someone else who's going to take your place. That same Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. You know how many years it is from the time that David is anointed to be king until he actually becomes king over all of Israel? 32 years. 32 years. He becomes king over Hebron seven years before that. So it's about 25 years till he's made king in Hebron. But from the time he's anointed, he goes and he slays Goliath and he plays his harp for Saul. And Saul just gets more mad at him the more he does to help Saul out because Saul thinks that he's in control. He forgets to submit all the time to the fact that God's in control. And he's afraid that this David is going to take him over. And he's not willing to be in a submissive posture to David or to God. And so he's got to throttle and take out the threat. And he's got to throttle and take out David. And so he's chasing David all over the place. David has been anointed with a calling on his life. And now for years and years and years, he's running all around the desert, hiding out in caves away from Saul, who's chasing him down trying to kill him the whole time this weird promise that god said and david you know if i'm david i'm like i was having such a good time out in the field playing my harp you know and yeah there was bears and lions but that was kind of exciting you know (laughs) like and and like i love the sheep and i was writing music and it was all good and we were having this great interaction now all of a sudden i'm being chased all over the desert and psalm 27 and i think it's 27 14 david says this he says wait on the lord oh my soul Be strong, take heart, and wait upon the Lord. And this is while he's being chased all over the place by Saul. Wait on the Lord, O my soul. Be strong, take heart, wait on the Lord. Saul, you remember this one? Comes rolling up into his cave. He's looking for David, and and he doesn't know that David's in the cave. And Saul has to relieve himself. So he goes into the men's room, which happens to be David's cave, which is pretty much how he treated David all the time. And if you think that through, yeah, anyway... um, (laughs) he goes into the cave to relieve himself. David sneaks up and he cuts a piece off of his robe. Saul leaves. And here's the picture I get. David's inside the framework, okay? God has anointed him to be king. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to submit to God. He's supposed to serve his country as best as he can. He's supposed to not lay a hand on the king's on, on the Lord's anointed, you know, and he's just supposed to be patient and wait. Then Saul creeps up into his cave and he's sitting right outside of uh, right here in his cave. And only thing between him and killing Saul is God's framework. It's the only thing. That's it. 
there's this one principle, this Ten Commandment that David surely knew that said, thou shalt not kill. And he killed plenty of people. It's about who he was supposed to kill, and it wasn't that guy. He knows that. This is the Lord's anointed. He knew, I'm not supposed to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. If I lay a hand on him, then when I'm king, the person who doesn't like me, they're going to wax me, you know? And he knows, you know, he knows there's a principle there. But at the same time, God said I was supposed to be king, and I didn't ask for it, but he told me I was going to be. And this guy who I've done nothing but serve, he's been running around doing all this stuff, wasting his time. He's the king of Israel. He's got nothing better to do with his time than chase me around and try to kill me. Come on, like, quit spending your time on your political campaign and just work on doing the work, you know? Like, quit trying to chase me and off me. And so here he comes up into the cave, and it's like, oh, here's the moment, man. God delivered him right into my hands. This is it. This is the time when... When I'm supposed to step into my calling and you know like his mind and his heart are just struggling in this moment. And all you hear is Psalm 27, 14 saying, be strong, take heart and wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Don't do things in my time frame. Do them in God's time frame because I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but I wrestle against principalities and powers. The war he fought was not one with Saul. It was one internally when his impatience would have certainly been a temptation in this moment. I've been waiting for 25 years almost at this point, probably 20 years at this point that he's been waiting and he could end it right now. He could end it. Be strong, take heart and wait on the Lord. And so he waits on God. I had to wait five seconds for a guy to turn, not turn his blinker on. I felt like a pretty big martyr. <laughs> for 20 years, he's like waiting on God, you know, and he has a moment to end it and he doesn't. Later, he's king over all of it. And Psalm 40 says, he reflects back on it. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and he heard my cry and he delivered me out of the pit. This is beautiful thing. Like David reflecting back, I did wait for him. And over and over again, I could have taken matters into my own hands and I could have sped up time and done things on my time frame. <coughs> Excuse me. But I didn't. I waited on God and he inclined and he heard my cry and he delivered me from the pit. Now, Psalm 130. David, this is a psalm of ascent. The psalms of ascent are when they're going up to the tabernacle to worship God. They're headed up to Mount Zion where they're all going to go to the meeting house. They're going to the sanctuary to praise God together. And they write these psalms of ascent. And these are the songs they sing as they go up to wait on God. And listen to him in Psalm 130 as he, as he thinks back about his life and as he goes to re- reflect with God at this moment. I want you to look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. Listen not just to the words, but listen to the rhythm, okay? Listen to the pace. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Here you can hear that, that that thing was designed to be read slow. It was designed. It's like, wait for the Lord. My soul waits. That's how I picture that song going. Wait for the Lord. And then the whole congregation just waits for a second. And then they say, my soul waits. And it just pauses. Just quiet. 
We're waiting on God. See, David learned something. (coughs) There's a water right back there, I think, Jen. (coughs) I knew this was going to happen today. I've been losing my voice. I knew at some point it was going to explode on me. (coughs) Thanks. It's a built-in illustration. God's time right now. You're not waiting on a blinker. You're not waiting on me. You're waiting on him. So David, he had learned one thing that was really important. There was one who designed time. And the one who designed the framework, who designed time, is also the one who designed him. And he has a plan for his life, and he has a purpose for his life. And the only way that that purpose can be fully worked out is if he stays within the rhythm of God's time. And all the other frameworks help him understand how God's time works. He could have advanced the kingdom of David by taking out Saul, but he wouldn't have been waiting on the Lord, would he? At that point, it wouldn't have been about the Lord anymore because he would have had to violate a principle of God in order to do it. Time wouldn't have been in God's hands. Anytime we have to violate a principle in order to make time move forward, we've messed up. So if I'm a workaholic and if I just want to maximize every moment and squeeze it to get the work done and I cheat something else, I cheat my family, I cheat my church, I cheat whatever else, I cheat God, then I'm not actually being smart and efficient with my time. I'm not doing good stuff with my time. In that moment, I'm violating the principles of God. And therefore, I'm not waiting on the Lord. If I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do, and I'm over here, and I know that time is going by, and that people's people's lives are expiring, and that they might not know Christ, and we're not doing anything to help them out, but frankly, I just feel like chilling right now, and I don't really feel like doing anything about it. I'm not keeping pace with God. And in that moment, no longer am I waiting on the Lord. You see, what David learned is there's two things, two people who can, one person who can, pretend to be in control of time, me, and then there's one person who really is in control of time, God. If I think that I'm in control of time, time, then I have to do two things. I have to be super efficient, crazy efficient. I have to run around like a chicken with my head cut off. And then I also have to be lazy. And what happens is there's this wonderful phrase that Charlie Baver shared with me a couple weeks ago, this Pennsylvania Dutch phrase. Maybe you've heard it before. The hurrieder I go, the behinder I get. Ever heard that one? The hurrieder I go, the behinder I get. And this is what happens. When we want to we keep things going and we want to get stuff done and we want to do it. And so we, so we get all, oh, I'm going to run around, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I mean, ask my wife, man, I, if I'm in danger of one thing in my life, this is it, man. I want to maximize every second of the day, you know. And like, so we just go and we go and we go. And then it's like, then you get burned out a little bit, you know, and you need rest. So, well, that's good because God designed a day of rest. But you get a day of rest, but then a day of rest isn't enough because we're going faster and harder than God told us to. So one day of rest isn't enough. So now I actually need more rest. So then I got to cheat the work time or, or whatever else in order, or family time maybe in order to get more rest time. And the whole rhythm gets out of whack because we're not just hanging with God and doing things the way he tells us to. We're trying to cheat time, but we're not. We're cheating ourselves and our family and our church and God and whoever else but we're not actually cheating time. David understood God was in control of time. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Can you imagine? 
right now. King David, you know, is the most powerful man of his, of his time. Can you imagine if Barack Obama, our president right now, just said, you know, like, all right, there's this huge crisis. There's the earthquake in Spain this week. There's the, uh, you know, Pakistan is not letting us uh, take stuff over to Afghanistan. There's, you know, whatever it is this week, whatever 10 new, you know, world crises just came up this week. And what if he just put the brakes on and he said, you know what? We're not going to talk about this right now. I just got to wait on the Lord. And so far, he's not given me anything about it. So I'm just going to chill. And until he gives me some communication around it, we're not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. See, the thing is, is we think we can't wait on God. How can we wait? The world keeps going. Time just keeps doing this. And the person at work that's putting in the 80s or the 90s is going to take my job if I don't keep pace, you know? So I got to keep pace. And the problem is, is that the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. And the thing that happens is, is that if we don't eliminate hurry from our life, we can't keep pace with God because God's back here walking like this. And he's like, have fun out there, but if you want to hang out with me, this is how I'm walking, right here. And we get out here and we're rushing, and then all of a sudden we stop and we're like, I got five minutes, God, you know, talk to me. What, you know, uh, what do I need? What do I need? And he's like, I, I have no framework by which I can talk to you right now that you'll understand because you're only understanding things in this time, and that's not real time. Real time is this. And until you get back into real time, I can't really communicate to you because everything you hear, you're going to hear it like this. You know, and it's not going to make sense. And you're going to try to get it to fit into your world and it's not going to fit because that's not my world. That's not the real world. That's not how the world actually works. That's how everyone's telling you it works. And if you keep going at this pace, you're going to run yourself into the ground and you're going to waste your time and everyone else's time and you're certainly going to waste mine. The measurement, it just keeps going. And it tells us all the time, constant accountability. Any of you ever heard of John Ortberg? Wonderful preacher. And uh, he talked to Dallas Willard, who was his mentor. Dallas Willard's kind of the, the authority um, in, in America on Christian spirituality. And uh, John Ortberg asked him, he said, Dallas, can you tell me one thing I can do to enhance my relationship with God? And his answer was simple. You can ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Years later, John Ortberg wrote this quote, or he spoke this quote. I I want you to hear it. It says, for most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted, rushed, and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. The Lord says this in Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's a beautiful, beautiful promise. Beautiful promise. The Lord has rebuked me straight up, slapped me around in the last few weeks about this thing about time. Because what happens is, is you know, the, uh, Bill Hybels, a, a pastor out in, uh, in Chicago area, he wrote this book called Too Busy Not to Pray. 
You know, because we always say we're too busy to get time. And he's like, I'm too busy not to pray. And things at Parker Ford, the pace keeps picking up. Every day, the amount of emails that I get in one day continues to increase. And there's less time to actually get back to all the emails. And, and at some point, you, like, I feel like I can't keep up. And I'm, I'm burning it at both ends. And then I just sensed God real intimately in my heart saying, there's only one way for you to keep up. It's to keep up with me. And I'm like, God, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, as a pastor, yeah, I'm supposed to be spending more time in prayer and more time in the Word, but I'm finding that the, the, the responsibilities are, are starting to, to squeeze in on it. And he's like, you push those things back. You push them back. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It's okay if the email goes unanswered. It's okay if that job doesn't get done. You keep pace with me because those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. You know what that means? That I'll get a whole different perspective. I'm used to seeing things down here like this in the world where we all work our hard long hours and we slave and then we have to get extra rest and we feel like we need to steal time here and we're all down here and he says begin to wait not on your business or not on your family not on your own desires not on what you have to get done begin to wait on me and when you do you'll get way way up and you'll see that this thing that you were pounding against that you've been bumping up against if you just bang a left turn there's a nice quick way around it you know, and you're wasting all your time banging your head against this wall. And he's like, there's a doorway just to the left. If you wait on me for a minute, you'll come up here and you'll have a different perspective. Hang a left, go through the door. You're right around it. You would have spent the next three years of your life pounding against that wall. But if you wait on me, you'll rise up with wings like eagles. The two kinds of time are chronos time and kairos time. Chronos time, that's the physical time. That's the time that he created for our universe and for us to exist with him. Kairos time is spiritual time. That's God time. That's a time that's about fulfillment. Things are ready when they're ready. Kronos time says that when I put the apple pie in the oven, it's done in 45 minutes. Kairos time says that when I put the apple pie in the oven, it's done when the crust turns a little brown and there's a little apple oozing out the side. God works on Kairos time, not when, not on Kronos time. And so God knows things are ready when they're ready. And he might even know when in Kronos time it's actually going to work because he knows us enough to know how long it's going to take for us to get there so he can translate his Kairos time into our Kronos time to let us know, yeah, it's roughly going to be about this many years, you know, until you get your thick head around it. And what happens is, is that until we get to a place where our Kronos time, our calendar, our spreadsheet is filled up with God's stuff, when it's waiting on him, until we get to a place where we're dependent on him and our calendars reveal our priority of God, until we get to that place, the crust doesn't get golden. It's actually dependent on our obedience with Kronos time in order for Kairos time to be appropriate. God's working on our hearts and he's trying to get us in submission to him. And he wants our calendars to begin to reveal that time that keeps ticking. He wants it to reveal our hearts submitted to him. And for him, Time will be ready when our calendars look like we love Him. And when our calendars begin to look like we love Him, the way we spend our time begins to look like, oh, I can look at their life and I see that it, it, they love God. You know, When our calendars look like that, then His time is starting to come to fulfillment. See, there's one last thing you need to know is that, is that 
Uh, actually, there's tons of things we all need to know. But there's one last thing I'm going to tell you before we get done. Um, and that's this, that we can schedule our time and make it work, you know. So I, I got to wait on the Lord like David. I got to wait on the Lord. Does that mean I have to be like a monk up here and, you know, sitting up on a mountain praying all the time, always be in the presence of God? No, no. although Paul does say pray without ceasing. See, there's this thing in our lives where we're in a mode of waiting on God where I'm not so busy and so rushed that I can't be hearing God in the middle of everything I'm doing. I get into a place where I learn that constantly, no matter what's going on, I'm waiting on God. My calendar needs to be structured in a way, yes, where in the mornings I'm, I'm praying and, I'm, and on Sundays I'm going to church and I'm reading the scriptures. And if my calendar doesn't have that stuff in it, then I'm telling you right now, we're not in submission to God and we're not going to see God work in our lives. And we need to bring those calendars in submission. However... There's this one other thing where the Holy Spirit is the creator of time and he comes and he rests with us. And the Holy Spirit, if we ask Jesus to be a part of our lives, he'll come rest within us. And there's the time that keeps ticking like this. But then there's also the Holy Spirit that whispers and he says, now's the time. Do you see the brown crust? Do you see the apple oozing out? Do you see that this person next to you is hurting? They need you right now. I know you have a report due in a few hours, but it doesn't matter. I'm the creator of time. I'll take care of you. One time Joshua was fighting a battle that God told him to fight. You remember the story? He's fighting the battle that God told him to fight and he's doing his job and he's trying to do everything he can and it's working out, but the time keeps ticking and he's like, I don't have enough time. And he asked God to stop the sun dead in the sky and God stops the sun in the sky. Can you imagine what that must have done to the universe? I have no idea what that did. How did that actually happen? Did we stop rotating around the sun? I have no idea what actually happened. But he stops the sun in the sky. His word says it. He is the creator of time. He can make money appear like that. He can make oil or gold appear like that. And believe me that if we will wait on God and do things with our time the way we're supposed to, he will give us the time we need to do everything we're supposed to do. But there is one thing that we absolutely can not ever compromise. Time was given for this purpose and this design to wait on God Almighty. And if it takes him 10 years to talk, I'm not going to stop waiting until he talks. I can't be in the right rhythm with my life until I get on God's time time frame. And sometimes he specifically will hold back and just sit there and not communicate or not give us what we need simply so we'll slow down and learn that he's in control. And once we learn it and get on his time frame, everything else right into place. Holy Spirit life moving and flowing and God just works and things just work out if we wait on the Lord. Let's pray.